It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. It's a Friday. Who wants to talk sports? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host John Riley, normally positioned in left field. But because it's 104 degrees outside, we brought him in to our air-conditioned studio in San Diego. We welcome you to our Friday podcast as we kick off a great sports weekend. John, phenomenal number of stories out there to talk about. We're going here, there, and everywhere. But before we do... Because our live stream is on, we also invite people to join us for the Fans Forum right at the end of the live stream. For everybody new on our live stream and our podcast, just quickly explain how they can get involved, become a co-host. Yeah, you can get involved. If you've got a comment, a question, a hot take for Hacksaw, drop it in the live chat on YouTube or Facebook. We'll see here on our screen. We'll get you involved in the Fans Forum segment at the conclusion of Hacksaw's Headlines. And be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, including on YouTube, and click on that bell, and you'll get updates whenever we drop a new episode or video clip. And if you like sports, Check my website. That's the address right there at the top of the screen, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. John, have we got topics on the table? Some good, some bad, some controversial. Go ahead. Well, I mean, the big thing we're hearing about now is the trade deadline's coming. We don't know what these teams are going to do. And the Angels can maybe have a big decision to make. Player agents are dropping hints that the Angels have decided they're going to take trade offers in the next two weeks for Shohei Otani. And it begs the question, is the era of Showtime in Anaheim about to be shut down? Is he about to be traded? I went back and did some digging. The agents that I know are dropping hints that there are offers now being made and that Perry Manesian, the Angels general manager, is listening to trade offers. The question I have, and the Angels won't answer the question, did they try to get Otani to sign a contract extension in the last month? Uh, last I checked, I was the one that volunteered the idea. <laughs> Find out where he is. If he signs, great. If he rejects your offer, then you get to the trade deadline and maybe you make a deal. Did they attempt to sign him? Did they reject it? Or did they have no interest in talking to him? Or did he have no interest in talking to them? It's a complex issue. Uh, history. Scoreboard does not lie. Otani's been there in his sixth year. Six losing seasons, never been in a playoff game with the Halos. However, his statistics are phenomenal. In the last three years, John, his batting average as a two-way player is 274, 112 home runs, second most home runs to Aaron Judge in the last three years of Major League Baseball. Wow. And his ERA coming off the elbow surgery, 2.86. How good is that in three years, phenomenal statistics. In six years, wearing that uniform, his team, the Angels, have a record of 373, 426, 53 games below 500. Like I said, never been to a playoff. And it's not on him. It's bad luck. It's bad investments. Mike Trout, Anthony Rendon, between them, had five different significant injuries in the last three years while Otani was being the star on the franchise. So the burning question 
if they're taking trade offers and one agent I emailed with said, yeah, I think they are, how do you do this deal? Left hand says, nobody's going to give you the farm because he's he's going to walk at the end of the season. Why would I trade my farm system and all my players away? The other hand says, you know the select group of teams he might accept an offer to. Give those teams permission, John, to talk to Otani's agent right now about an extension. Nobody's going to pay the farm for a guy that's going to walk November 1st. So do the Angels do that? That becomes a big question. Here's the issue. You got the Dodgers and you got the Yankees and you got the big markets and they're willing to pay a four or five hundred million dollar 10 year deal for possibly Otani as a pitcher, as a designated hitter, as a marketing superstar at the same time. How do you make that kind of deal work? Well, I go to the Dodgers who have a great history with players from the Pacific Rim. I tell the Dodgers, you have a two-week window to July 31st. We will grant you permission to negotiate the terms of an extension that he would accept. And if that's the case, these are the players I want. And if I'm the Angels, if I'm Artie Moreno, if I'm Perry Manesian, the general manager, I turn around and I tell the Dodgers, I want Bobby Miller. I want Ev Sheehan. I want Mike Bush. I want Miguel Vargas and maybe a couple of other lower-level prospects. You're getting a superstar. I'm getting six players, at least the first four that I mentioned, put my uniform on and play at Angel Stadium right now. And the Yankees have that same plethora of great young talent stockpiled at Syracuse and Wilkes-Barre and further on down the farm system. I think that's how you get the deal done. Now, what's the community's reaction if they have to move him on July 31st, hours before the trade deadline, do they condemn Marino? We don't know whether Marino is willing or he is willing to pay $500 million on a, maybe a 10-year extension. Or do they condemn Otani that he was here, he refused to negotiate? Do they condemn the agents, CAA, the most reputable big star marketing firm representing athletes and entertainers? Or they just say, thank you. He came here at a low-budget price. He starred here. The failure is not on him. It's obviously on the Angel organization. It's, it's a tough story. But if the agents are correct that they're now, the Angels have messaged teams, we will take offers. I think it's probably the end of the era. And part of me would say, Angels tried hard, but part of me said Moreno pissed away so much money on bad players from the Josh Hamilton drug infestation to the attitude and angst with Justin Upton and all that and the, and the tragedy with the drug dealing. Moreno should probably sell the team because I don't think the community is going to forgive Artie if this guy leaves. Okay, so I put a lot on your table. Give me your reaction. Otani, how do you trade him? What do you want back? Do you let other clubs make a deal? Or do you go to the finish line on the 31st? Or do you just wait till November 1st with the hope he likes Anaheim and he changes his mind? Go ahead, your turn. Well, they can't just pray and hope that he's going to sign after the season's over. But the Angels seem to have, its like you say, it's a combination of bad luck and they've painted themselves into a corner where their options are now limited. And I know these other teams are going to have a lot of leverage. But you said they would maybe open up negotiation 
with Otani's agents, let's say the Yankees or the Dodgers, had permission to talk to his agent, would they negotiate a deal like as a prelude before a trade goes so that it almost becomes this giant package deal where we're going to trade players for players and Otani is signing for half a billion dollars? That's the way I would perceive it if I were king. Now, I would also up front tell them, if you do this deal, these are the players I want. Oh, yeah. It's not you're going to be allowed to do the deal. And then, by the way, let's sit and talk about the parameters of a trade. They go hand in hand. Now, maybe you you scare the Dodgers away. If you're telling the Dodgers, I must have Bobby Miller, must have Everett Sheehan, I got to have Vargas, and I've got to have Bush, and I got to have two more from lower in the farm system. But at the same time, the Dodgers are getting a legitimate big-time superstar, the greatest player probably in Major League Baseball that we see right now. Maybe we're never, ever going to see this again. So Mm -hmm. the Dodgers have to be willing to pay the exorbitant price to make this happen. Well, let's say you're the Dodgers and you can't negotiate a deal. Maybe his agent says, we're going to free agency. You know, like it or not, we want to play the market and maximize value. So if you're the Dodgers, you're only guaranteed to have them for two, two and a half months. So are you willing to give up a Bobby Miller or one of your top guys for a two month rental? I'm going to say this and it's going to really upset you. It's the Dodgers. (laughs) Dodgers track record, you know, World Series, Mm -hmm. division titles, legacy going all the way back to Ebbets Field. I know you don't want to hear that being a giant fan with black and orange in your bloodstream, but it's the Dodgers. So why would you not consider you'd be able to sales pitch him? And the Dodgers have such a successful history of players from Japan, from Korea, from Taiwan. I mean, to me, all the ingredients are there, and it is West Coast, and there's an unbelievable amount of Asian American fans, Los Angeles, Orange County, up and down the coast. So, what do that, you think? What do you think about Otani to the Giants, or maybe Otani to the Padres? I've heard rumors of Otani for Soto, mm-hmm. straight up swap. What do you think of that? Oh, I think that's that's people wishing and hoping. Um, but does Otani want to be in San Diego? I mean, Dodger Stadium, a lot more marketing ventures. Yeah. Yankee Stadium, unbelievable amount of heritage. Petco Park. Padre history? Nah, not so much. <laughs> uh, and, you know, is Peter Seidler going to be willing to take on that type of contract? Uh, tough, tough call. So at the end of the day, would you do what I would do if I were king? I would give those two or three marquee teams the two-week window after having reached agreement on who you're giving up if you get him. Yeah, I think if you're already Moreno, you have to maximize your return. And you could only get that if you give permission for those other franchises to negotiate. Because if you don't, if you just do a trade with no guarantee of what's going to happen at the end of the season, I mean, you'll be lucky to get a good one or two prospects and certainly not a top tier prospect for a a rental. So I think Artie's painted himself into a corner. That's probably his only move right now, unless he's had his own individual conversation with Shohei and, and they've decided that, you know, Shohei wants to play in Anaheim and they've worked a deal together. If Artie can't do that, if that's impossible, then I think your solution makes a lot of sense. How should angel fans react? Hate the owner, hate the player, Hate the system? Well, there's a lot of bitterness, you know, and, and, and frustration as an Angel fan. I know there's a lot, of, a lot of hate on Artie, but he's been cursed. And, you know, he went out and he signed Shohei Otani. He 
you know, uh, signed Mike Trout to, what was it, $430 million. He's trying his best. He's just getting bit with bad luck. If you're an Angels fan, you'd be disappointed if Shohei Otani leaves. But, I mean, what do you expect at this point in time? They they have limited choices right now. Amazing. Showtime era, Anaheim. Looks like it's about to be canceled. We'll see what happens in the next two weeks. John, from one baseball story to the next baseball story. Boy, we got a lot to talk about here. Yeah, I mean, the Padres finally are starting the second half, and these guys have got to step up. I mean, the pressure is on to turn this season around. Nice phrase. Put up or shut up time for Padre baseball. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Don't tell me about the back of your baseball card. and Don't talk <laughs> a bit about how many games are left. Uh, they're in a box. They're in a real tough situation. They open a four-game series, Philadelphia. Then they go to Toronto, and the Blue Jays play like hell at home, hit the ball all over the yard. Then they get Detroit. Ten-game roadie to start the second half of the season. They come home. Uh, They're going to play Texas at home, and that's not going to be easy. And then they're going to play Pittsburgh. Then they go where they don't play real well. As bad as Colorado is, Coors Canaveral Field has been a tough place for the Padres to play. They're going to go play Colorado up there. And if that's not hard enough, when you look at the rest of the schedule after this haul, they play, they play 13 of 19 right now on the road. And then when they come home, they're going to wind up playing Orioles. They're going to play seven against the first place Arizona Diamondbacks. Wow. So they got a chunk of put up, shut up games that they're going to have to win and they need a hot streak. Now, that being the said, and we've been we've been critical and analytical about a whole bunch of things here with this team. I went back and just looked at the standings this afternoon. Let me just run this by you and you can argue with me about this after the fact. Miami's got 55 wins. The Marlins, 55 wins. I'm sorry, Padres are better than Miami. Philadelphia's got 44. Now, the Phillies are World Series kings, no doubt about that. But a lot of injuries. You know, Bryce Harper's not a hit a home run in like 136 at-bats. Wow. Longest drought in his career, but he is hitting 340. He, of course, is coming off the major elbow issues. I'd say the Padres might be a little bit better offensively uh, than Philadelphia. Cincinnati. Who? Reds have 50 wins. That's all with kids. Padres are better than Cincinnati. you got Milwaukee that's got 49, and half its pitching staff has been on the IL most of the season, and Christian Yelich isn't what he used to be. I think Padres are better than those guys. Arizona's got 52 wins. What? But it's a 162-game schedule. I just get the feeling Arizona's starting to feel the heat. And yeah, 119 degrees in Phoenix. I'm talking about the heat of the pennant race, not the heat on the pavement in downtown Phoenix. And you got the Giants, patchwork roster. I don't know how the hell they got to 45 wins. Padres are better than them. John, I just gave you six teams. I think the Padres are better than. San Diego is seventh in the wild card race. How can that be? Well, we've known all year long the Padres are better than every team in the National League. Well, if, with the exception maybe of Atlanta. Okay, but on paper, this team was going to be a juggernaut. They were going to score at least five runs a game, you know, and they had good starters. They were going to be in a position to really dominate the NL West. We knew that at the beginning of the year. 
but they haven't lived up to it. So you look at those records of the Marlins, you say, yeah, we're better than the Marlins, we're better than the Phillies, but it's like your Bill Parcells quote, you know, your record is what you are, what your record says you are, right? And that's what's just driving us all bananas. So, I mean, they're on a 10-game road trip. I say they got to win at least seven on this trip because if they don't, I mean, they're going to be in the same boat that they're in now when we get near the trade deadline and uh, the season's going to run out. Real tough. I think the four-day rest has to help the pitching staff, which I think was grossly fatigued. The four-day rest, I sure hope the batting order has not lost the magic wand and they cool down during those four-day rests. They're going to have to hit to win these games in Philadelphia because the Phillies are bashing it. Uh, But you know what? I, I said this in our last podcast. If Machado can push that batting average up to 270 with home runs, if Soto can stay close to 270, if Tatis, who's hitting 288, can just continue to beat Tatis, I don't know where Bogarts is because he's had another cortisone injection in the wrist, but he's sure not the same player. But if the if the Fab Four can all hit in the 270 window, coupled with the pitching, they should be able to beat these teams who I think they're better than has not happened yet. That's where we are with the Padres. Now, as we're looking at the schedules, let's talk about next year, because this is kind of cool. Yeah, there's some big news that dropped about the, the schedule here in 2024 with the Padres. Let's take a look at the board. Yeah, the Padres uh, and MLB decided to release everybody's 24 schedule during the All-Star break where they could kind of capture the headlines before the NFL training camps open. This is kind of a really cool schedule uh, that the Padres are going to play. Uh, home. Interleague play. Interleague play, by the way, is going to continue the way it is, the balanced schedule. You're going to get the Yankees here. And you always like to boo, so you're going to get the chance to boo the World Series cheats, the Houston Astros. Those at Petco Park are some of the guys from the Interleague that will be coming. On the road, holy cow. Padres go to Fenway Park. Padres go to Texas. Padres go to Tampa Bay. Those are all two some pretty good teams. And, of course, they open the season. Seoul, South Korea, uh, in March, March 2021, against the Dodgers. Baseball did something a little bit different, though, with this this international schedule. Instead of taking two Padre home games, as they have in the past, they took one Padre home game, and the Dodgers gave up a home game. Because huh. I, I, when I first thought about this, oh, no, you're going to have the Padres go on the road and give up home dates when you have everybody wearing heat <laughs> at Petco Park? You don't want to give up two home games to the Dodgers, but baseball balanced it, so it's going to be one-to-one. I think think it's a cool schedule. Jeez, the Bronx Bombers and the Cheats are coming here. Those roadies are going to be hard, but... So that's the 2024 Padres schedule highlights. Yeah, I like it. I mean, it's exciting to go to Korea, especially with Ha-Sung Kim on the roster. And uh, what a better way to kick off the season with our rival Dodgers, or at least we'd like to think of them as our rival. But, hey, the last time the Padres went and played at Texas, boy, it was a good result, right? You had Musgrove's no-hitter. You had, um, And then the previous series is when Tatis hit that grand slam on a 3-0 pitch. So the Padres do all right in Dallas. Yeah, or, but this is not the same Texas Ranger team. I mean, they are clubbing it. Mm-hmm. The acquisition of Corey Seager has been huge. They've they've dumped a lot of money into free agency. I mean, they're they're leading baseball in a whole bunch of offensive metrics. Even though I don't know that they got enough starting pitching to go 162 games, but they are banging it. Now Texas is coming here, but they've never been intimidated. They're hitting well on the road. They're hitting well, obviously 
in Arlington. Okay, from that baseball story, let's go to the other baseball story as it relates to the commissioner's press conference at the All-Star Game and some new developments as it relates to those guys. Yeah, I mean, some big news here. I mean, Oakland is in a real pickle here. So what's going on, Lee? So you got Rob Manford, the commissioner. You got the mayor of the city of Oakland. They met. Manfred was given a 288-page document by the mayor, which certified all the things the city attempted to do, including the big terminal, Howard Terminal, on the water where they were going to build the entertainment district and the stadium, and that John Fisher could not pony up the money to make work. Because Manfred had said his biggest disappointment, he said this at his first All-Star Week press conference, his biggest disappointment was the city of Oakland's inability to put a deal together to keep the athletics and their heritage there. That new mayor just went off the deep end and demanded a meeting, and she flew to the All-Star festivities with the documents and gave them to Manfred and said, this is what we did. This is why it has not worked out. That's why that guy has hightailed it to Las Vegas. Uh, Pitch clock. Rules are going to stay in effect. However, postseason play, no pitch clock. It's interesting because I think the pitch clock has been a positive to baseball. Average game times, which last year were like 3.05, are down to 2 hours and 39 minutes. Now, that being said, postseason play, and I didn't realize this till I, I dug it up, playoff games last year, average length, 3 hours and 39 minutes. Wow. So they're going to take the pitch clock away during the playoffs. Uh, no ghost runner at second base if there are extra inning games. We expected that. So much controversy about home plates that seem to be moving from crew chief to crew chief, home plate on ball. Last two years, home plate balls and strikes calls had just been atrocious. They are tabling the robo-ump computerization of balls and strikes. There had been fear. There had been theory. Bud Black told me that they thought robo-ump was coming in 2024. Uh, Manfred said no. Umpires will continue to call balls and call strikes the way it is. Uh, There is talk, and maybe because they do use computers to look at strike zones, watch the pottery broadcast to see it, there is talk of allowing the managers to maybe have two balls and strike challenges in addition to the one challenge they have in their pocket during the course of a game. So Bob Melvin or Dave Roberts or Phil Nevin doesn't like the umpiring, and there's an egregious mistake, he might have two opportunities to use it for a challenge. That's going to be voted on, I think, by the Rules Committee and then the owners in the offseason. Interesting story. Don't know the genesis of how this happened, but for the first time, Manford has kind of let on. Baseball's talking about expansion. And somehow, some way, it's been linked to this stormy meeting with the Oakland mayor Somebody dropped the hint, whether she asked or he offered, that if you build that new stadium in Oakland, we will consider Oakland as an expansion team. You got Portland that's pushing, you got Charlotte that's pushing, Nashville seems to be ahead of everybody. So is there a window for Oakland to get a franchise to replace the athletics once they go to Las Vegas? If you kind of connect the dots and what was said by Rob Manfred, Maybe there's an opportunity there. So that's that's really the interesting storylines as it relates to baseball. The union has popped off at the All-Star festivities. Tony Clark says, we're going to determine, because we want input, we are owed input, as to where the A's are going to go. 
Are they going to play in the three-year interim in Vegas in a minor league stadium? Are they going to be a rotating team to go to different markets and play games? It was a bad experience when the Montreal Expos were to move to Washington. If you recall, you might have been there because you travel a lot. (laughs) Uh, There had been conversation, Expos, we're going to play different places. They played a bunch of games in, I think it was San Juan, Puerto Rico. Yeah, they did. During the regular season. Yeah. I thought that was you sitting by the third base line drinking rum (laughs) at Bacardi. Um, So there's talk about that. Uh, the, The union is really against splitting the athletics and making them a road team because you're not only dealing with the wear and tear on players, you're dealing with how it impacts wives and families and kids and schools. There's a whole bunch there. So Union says we're going to have input before Manfred makes any decision and the athletics make a decision. And here's the craziest of all. Just hold on to the table, would you? All right. Craziest of all, somebody has proposed athletics share the stadium with the Giants in San Francisco. When San Francisco goes on the road, the A's would play home games there. Now, knowing the fact historically that you and other Giants fans and the Giants themselves blocked the athletics from building in Sacramento and killed the proposal to build a stadium in San Jose because you're greedy, you want everything in NoCal to wear orange and black— so do you think the Giants would ever allow that to happen? Okay, I threw a lot at you. You go ahead and respond. Well, there is a ton there. I, I want to comment on a number of those bullet points. But let's talk a little bit about San Francisco-Oakland. Sometimes I do wonder if is as, as um, wealthy as the Bay Area is, if it can support two teams. Because remember back in the 70s when the A's were gangbusters, winning Charlie Finley and all those World Series teams, the Giants were struggling. To- they were going to Tampa. Yeah, there was rumors to go to Tampa. There was rumors they were going to go to Toronto, Minnesota, um, Minnesota, and, and you know now we kind of make jokes about the Oakland Coliseum and maybe only two thousand fans in the arena. Candlestick Park used to be like that in nineteen seventy five, seventy six. So sure, there's a lot more money there, a lot more corporations. But still, the A's have still struggled. Now, granted, even when the team was really good, they still didn't sell it out all the time. So I kind of wonder, the, the, the Oakland mayor, you know, they've done a lot. You know, it's, it's kind of like the Chargers in San Diego, where the city has come forward with a lot of plans, but maybe the ownership just really wants to get out of town. That's my sense. Um, but, boy, it'd be, it'd be disappointing for the A's to leave. But I, there's no way they're going to put an expansion team in Oakland because— they can't sustain the A's now. I think the economics of the city of Oakland and the East Bay are drastically different than Silicon Valley, drastically different than downtown San Francisco. Oh, yeah. So I, I, I concur with you on that. Would the Giants let those guys play home games in their stadium? Ooh, probably not. You know, and then, you know, the wear and tear in the field and everything else. And all the San Franciscans have such pride in the city, capital T, capital C, the city. I don't see that ever happening. It's a darn shame that they didn't get, but weren't able to to go down to Silicon Valley because that could have been a real win-win um, for everybody involved. But, you know, like you say, the East Bay is its like a traditionally more of a blue-collar uh, kind of a situation. But nowadays with the Bay Area and tech, I mean, there's money all over the place. Okay, here we go. We're going to take a break for a minute. But before we do, we're going to talk to you about Fans Forum. Questions. If you're watching us on our live stream, Angels, Mishandle the Otani situation? 
how do they make this work to help a team they trade them to and yet save their own team? Secondly, Padres are better than all these teams that I listed, or do you think I'm full of crap? Feel free to join us on Fans Forum. And Giants A's, John doesn't want them trampling on the turf at the, that ballpark <laughs> in San Francisco. Do you think that is a way to keep them in the Bay Area for the short period before they go to Vegas? So those are questions we're looking for people to respond to on Fans Forum. How do they do it? Yeah, so you can get involved in Fans Forum. Just type in your question or comment in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube, um, and we'll see it here on our screen. We'll get you involved. And we already got a couple of guys that have submitted questions, so we'll get to you. Um, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And Lee, before we go to the next segment, I, I still have a couple more comments on your big board. Can we talk about that? Go ahead. Fire away. Just <laughs> embarrass yourself. So the 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 uh, pitch clock in, uh, in the World Series, do you think that's more of a money thing? I mean, if they're going to, they got to have a lot more time for commercials and national TV audience. They don't want the game to end in two and a half hours, you know, if it's a Dodgers-Yankees World Series. I agree with you. However, the game has changed and the game is fun with two and a half or two hours and 50 minutes. The hidden thing I was told is they don't want a playoff game or a World Series game decided by a mistake on the mound with a pitcher who gets distracted and loses the pitch clock and walks a guy with the bases loaded, suddenly it's a pitch clock violation. Now, that's that's far-fetched because at this point when you played 162 games, you're, you know what the clock is and you know what your rhythm should be. That's one of the rumblings I hear. I don't know if that's fact or if that's fiction. My whole theory is these are the rules. You've lived through this. It's been a positive why would you not keep it uh, for the playoffs? Yeah, well, I think you're right. I think they have to be consistent here. Um, but I just wonder if it's a money play, if that's really the angle here. Um, but I will say this is when you're in the postseason, there's so much drama and the way those games build with all the emotion. You know, the fact that they go along is pretty cool. Um, but I just want to make one other comment about the strike zone that Rob Manford was mentioning. You know, robo, I like the idea of robo ups a lot, but how can you like give a, a, let's say you give a coach an appeal and then they can go back and look at it, but that box that they draw on the screen. I mean, that's a different size box for Aaron Judge than it is for Jose Altuve. Are they going to take that into consideration? Well, I, I would have to assume with the science of replay and the, and creative graphics and all that. Yeah. I, you're, you're correct. I mean, it'd be a little different for Jose Altuve at mm. five foot eight than it would be for six seven Aaron Judge. But we don't have to worry about it this year because I don't think they've refined it enough, and they're taking another human element piece out of the game. That being said, the human element behind home plate's been pretty piss poor oh. the last two years, moving strike zones and home plates. I do like the idea of the challenge. You wouldn't burn it unless, you know, the base is loaded and you get a, a what you think is an egregious call that forces in a run or a check swing. Then you would use it. It wouldn't stop the game very often. It'd just be two opportunities for Bob Melvin to not get thrown out of a game and two opportunities to get a what he would assume an important call correct. Yeah, I like it. I, just as long as they get it right. That's the key point of all of it. Okay. So, reminder— 
Topics on the table, fans forum afterwards. John, quickly, how do they subscribe to get access to all the things we do on our regular weekly podcast, Thursday or Friday, and the bonus package on Monday? Yeah, so you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, all the audio-only platforms. Of course, you can subscribe uh, to the podcast on YouTube. We're live streaming on Facebook and Twitter. Hey, Hacksaw, we got you on threads today. So now you're legit on the new uh, platform that's competing with Twitter. Uh, and then, of course, all the content's on Instagram. It's on TikTok talk. You're all over the place. So be sure to like, follow, share, and subscribe across all the platforms to get all the ha- uh, content for Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. Everybody likes me. He doesn't have any friends. So give us a thumbs up. And if, if you want to give us five-star rating, John would accept that too. He's got no pride. Okay. Next topic on the table, we're bouncing basketballs, taking three-point shots, and this is a big story about to happen. Yeah, so this this story about the Clippers, I mean, you've been talking about Paul George to the Knicks, how the Clippers have the worst, you know, salary cap situation in the NBA. What's the newest uh, piece of news? The Clippers have a deadline coming up in which negotiations will open next Wednesday in which a player and the club can talk about a max contract extension. That's the dollar figure for Kawhi Leonard and for Paul George. Four years, $220 million. The club can make that offer next Wednesday. That being said, big history of injuries with both those players. Clippers have enormous salary cap problems. They're looking at a $90 million tax bill because they've been over the threshold three years in a row. The new CBA does not have as many escape clauses that allow teams to reconfigure the packaging of salaries. So it's a huge question. The other question, these two guys in the last four years, John, have missed 268 games. 268 out of 308 games. They have not been there for We all know about Kawhi's three knee surgeries, all to the right knee, the quad area, the torn ligament. He just had another, quote, cleanup surgical process. Paul George, shattered elbow, hand, back. He's had multiple surgeries. This age and injury history has to be taken into consideration before you give those guys $50 $50 million a year for four more years after this season's contract. By the way, those guys are making $45 million apiece this year, the final year of the deal that's kind of paralyzed them. So I guess to a degree, the Clippers, John, are at a, at a crossroads. Do they keep those two superstars together and have no way to go do other things? Or do they offer them a shorter-term contract because of the injury history or do they go ahead and maybe make a Paul George trade, I hear, with the New York Knicks now and just get young guys back and get breathing room and cap space? And Kawhi, you know, he's had all these significant injuries since the tail end of the run with San Antonio, the one year in Toronto, and what's happened to him with the Clippers. So truckload of decisions here that they have to make. Owner's been unbelievably loyal. But somewhere along the line, you do have to make consideration to their injury history and the overall health of the franchise. Agree or disagree? Yeah, th- this is a tough one because, you know, the, the the video shorts that we've posted on Instagram, they get tons of views. One of them, number was a Clipper, was talking about the Lakers and Clippers and what they should do. And one of the Clippers fans says they really don't need to add anyone else to this roster. They just need to be healthy. And when these two guys are on the court at the same time, their record is fabulous. 
but they're just never on the court at the same time. So, you know, it's like it's like that old Einstein quote, you know, if you keep repeating the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result, it's insanity. They're, these guys keep getting injured. It's not going to change. So I think the Lake, uh, the, excuse me, the Clippers have to kind of adjust. They've got to make an adjustment here, shift gears. One of these two guys may need to go, and maybe you can replace them with two or three good young guys. 268 games missed in the last four years out of the 308 times the Clippers tipped the ball off on the floor. We shall see. From basketball, we go to NFL football. Wow. Wow. I was surprised to see Gruden in your Hacksaw's headline here. Tell me the story, Lee. Well, there's all types of convoluted parts to the story. You're aware of the NFL probe of Daniel Snyder, toxic workplace culture. You are aware of the secretive emails that wound up in the Washington commander's front office sent from Gruden, who was at that point in time on ESPN, not the Raiders coach, on ESPN, to Bruce Allen, the then president. They were longtime friends, having been linked together in the past with the Raiders. Then all of a sudden, all this stuff leaks out about Gruden's emails with racial overtones, a condemnation of gays, all types of stuff. Gruden gets fired by the Raiders. Insinuation, the NFL tipped Mark Davis off. We know about this. This is going to wind up being public. You better take care of what's going on in your own house. Davis pushed back. Roger Goodell went back to him a second time and said, there are going to be some more emails that are going to wind up getting leaked. This stuff is out there. They dismissed Gruden. Gruden reached a settlement on his $10 million a year contract with Mark Davis Gruden filed a huge lawsuit against Goodell and the NFL. And now the insinuations are that either Goodell leaked it because Goodell knew that Gruden had condemned him in emails or that Daniel Snyder leaked it to help Goodell and to make Washington's toxic workplace probe calm down or that DeMora Smith, the head of the union, who was racially slurred by Gruden in emails, he might have leaked it. This is really ugly. Evidently, somebody made an overture out of court, an out-of-court financial settlement. Gruden said, hell no, we're going to trial. And then Gruden made the statement, I will burn the NFL down. Now, this came after Daniel Snyder made the statement a year ago, I have so much dirt on everybody, from Goodell to these other owners, I'm going to take the NFL down. So, I mean, who leaked it? Did somebody retaliate? That's a burning question. I don't know that we're ever going to have an answer. ESPN wrote a 7,000-word story on their website on Wednesday. Very complex to read, but linked a lot of different data that I just explained to you in short form. I don't know where this is going, but this sure looks like it's going to court, and it sure looks like somebody's going to get burned by the time this thing is done. Chucky is going to burn down the NFL, man. <laughs> this is like a new like horror movie that we can watch. The, Gruden is a freaking idiot uh, for doing this because you can try to you know blame someone else for weaponizing the leaking of an email, but you 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 first of all you don't say that you don't you, we shouldn't even be thinking this kind of you know racial slurs and anti-gay things. I mean, this is. 2023 and we're not living in 1862 you know so we 
it's it's ridiculous that he's thinking it and saying it and more idiotic that he puts it in writing in an email. And so if the if the NFL or if the Players Association president, Demora Smith, leaked it or if Snyder or whoever leaked it, they're not the ones to fault. Gruden is the one that's going to have to bear this thing down. So is if this is going to be a lawsuit, we'll find out what's in the contract. Does this violate the moral clause? You know, maybe it does. But I mean, as brilliant of a sportscaster that Gruden is, and you can you can say he's a good coach. Other people might detract on that. But this is just foolish. I mean, this is just idiotic. I remember one of the first podcasts we did, and I thought everybody was going to cut the cord and turn us off. Uh, they were pro-Gruden people. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we you and I talked about the man is so intelligent. Yeah. He's done so many dynamic things and a great personality and so smart. Why would you do that? And what really bothered me, he wrote it. It had to be in his heart. And if it's in his heart, then he had to bloody believe it. Yeah. And that that turned me off to John Gruden, period, exclamation point, end of conversation. Yeah. I mean, this is just nuts. So, you know, I, I kind of, as far as I was concerned, I had turned the page on Gruden. He was in my rear view mirror. And now he's popping back up in the front view. So let's see what happens. That was not the only bad story in football this week they were covering. This is terrible, too, in the Big Ten Conference. We've got a history of problems in yeah, that conference. This has been in all over the news, all over the national media. It's been like a top story uh, for, for uh, the evening news. Yeah, Pat Fitzgerald resurrected Northwestern Wildcat football, put them in a bowl, I think, five different times. Last two years have not been good. It's a very different institution to recruit to because it's such a highly uh, accoladed academic institution. Uh, they got a problem from within. They kept it secret from within. There was a lot of hazing going on over about a five-year period. Eleven players, young players, who got hazed constantly in their first couple of two years on the Evanston campus finally went public. Uh, now, now, the big issue is who knew what and why didn't they do anything about it? Fitzgerald said, I did not know. Come on now. Those coaches know everything about everything. Uh, the assistant coaches had to know that some of this junk was going on. And then it got public. A player went to the president of the university, and the president was slow to react. And the player then eventually went to the media. Mm. And that thing then took off like an oil fire. Uh, Eleven different players now confirm that they were physically harassed, sexually abused in this long-term hazing thing. And Pat Fitzgerald has got a great track record there, uh, with the exception of the last two years. Pat Fitzgerald said... I did not know. And the president, who was aghast when the, the number be, went from 1 to 11 players who were abused, uh, the president said, you're responsible for the culture of the Northwestern football program. Yeah. You are responsible for everything that goes on on that program. Don't tell me you did not know. And he fired him on the spot. And now there's going to be a some type of termination lawsuit. I think Fitzgerald is is going to file against the university. And this comes on the heels of about a year and a half ago at the University of Iowa. And they had all kinds of issues with an on-campus investigation of racial overtones, head coach, assistant coach, to African-American players at Iowa. Somehow that coaching staff kept its job and did not get fired, which absolutely shocked me. Hayden Fry must be spinning in his grave that this was allowed to happen where he had built such a great program. Uh, but but obviously, it's just, there's culture junk 
that's going on at some of these universities, which is, is not good. You know, and this comes on the heels of the mess at Michigan State with Dr. Larry Nasser mm-hmm. and the sexual assault of female students that did, that he was advising and giving physical exams to. And, of course, the story of Nasser getting stabbed 10 times in prison this past weekend. So, But Big Ten's got some culture issues off the field. Yeah, this is a tough story, you know, and to your point, Northwestern is a very prestigious academic institution, and they've always kind of been on the bottom half of that Big Ten, and they've been pretty good lately. So this coach has done a good job. But I'll I'll say this, and and this, I don't can't remember what the exact quote is, but you know, people can be individually smart. When you put them in a group, then stupid things happen. And hazing is one of those things. I mean, like speaking for myself, I was in a fraternity and, you know, they you hear talk about hazing was, oh, they did that a long time ago, but it still goes on. And when you get a bunch of guys together, you know, they got hazed when they were a freshman, a pledge, a rookie. Then they just continue the tradition because they think that, OK, now it's my turn to be the tough guy on the new the new uh, newbie. Um, so, yeah, it's up to the coach to establish a culture because I bet you John Wooden didn't have any hazing going on with UCLA basketball. Yep. It's a really ugly story. We have not heard the end of that story. On we go. Let's talk about uh, soccer. Big topic on the table, and now it's front and center all the time. Yeah, a lot of soccer going on here in San Diego this week, but big news here about Pulisic, huh? Christian Pulisic is moving from Chelsea. I don't understand it. Chelsea has allowed five key players to leave. I don't understand it. The owner of Chelsea, the lead owner, is Todd Bowley. Todd Bowley owns a chunk of the Dodgers and the Lakers and other sports franchises. Why would you allow this to happen to a marquee player in your country, in the United States? Uh, Pulisic has signed a four-year deal to go to AC Milan, the elite team in the Italian League, seven-time Champions League winners. Uh, he, He vacated. He's getting paid a tremendous amount of money. As he went out the door, he said how disappointed he was the way he was treated in Chelsea. He was in the lineup. He was out of the lineup. He had a problem with the new new head coach over the last two years. He was also injured a whole bunch of time as to whether he was available for duty. But but he's gone. And like I say, Chelsea's losing all of its players. Some have gone to Saudi Arabia. Others have, have jumped to other teams in the English Premier League. Uh, Pulisic. And remember, this is a young pup playing at the elite level. He's only 24. I mean, he he got there at age 18 or 19, having been in Germany before he he went to uh, Chelsea. He scored 26 goals in four years, but he'd been benched. He only had one goal uh, this past season. Um, It's really weird why the American owner, Todd Bowley, would allow this to happen to a marquee player from the United States that he had to be knowledgeable. I mean, we're so excited of soccer fanatics in the pub, watching the games, seeing this kid develop. This kid has gone from an intimidated 19-year-old playing at the international level to being the leader of the red, white, and blue for the U.S. as we look towards 2026. So thoughts on Pulisic? You know, as much as we love the guy and, you know, he's the a star soccer player from America, when you put him on an English Premier League team and he's surrounded by all that worldwide talent, I wonder how he is treated by his peers. Is he like looked upon as one of the top players in the league or is he looked upon as, oh, yeah, you're good in America, but you're not at our level here? I wonder if he kind of gets that pushback. 
I think that's the latter. I tend to agree with you. I'm I'm not going to say they look down at the Americans, but there have been so few Americans that have gone to play in the EPL who have had great success. That's their game. Born, bred, and raised on it, and they'll die for it. So I, I, I think probably there's some some messaging there, John, that goes on that, oh, yeah, you're, you're from Florida, and you came from Germany as a teenager, but you're not one of us. I, yeah, I, and, I think indirectly that's probably a piece of the equation. But he couldn't stay on the field. He had a lot of nagging injuries, calves and knees and all that. And the only way he was going to play if he got on the field, and they had a lot of problems with coaching changes, it said, you're not my guy. I'm going to play the guys that I'm familiar with have been in the EPL. So be fascinated to see what happens as he goes uh, to AC Milan, which is just one of the great, great European franchises. Maybe not equal to FC Barcelona. Maybe not what Manchester United has has been for decades upon decades. Somebody asked me, I was pumping gas the other day, uh, <laughs> and knew who I was and watches the podcast and said, um, why wouldn't Pulisic come back here to MLS? Well, MLS has a tight salary cap. MLS is not paying $23 million a year uh, to hardly anybody. Uh, you know, the whole Lionel Messi deal was not MLS money. It was marketing money from Adidas and other people. But uh, I'll be I'll be interested to see what he does. Only thing I have, when you go play in these little leagues, you kind of disappear off the radar. That's a big issue. Yeah. I mean, EPL's got this great TV contract. You see all those games here. When's the last time you saw anything from FC Barcelona? No, or, like yeah, never. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You see Milan. So, well, we'll see. I just love the whole idea of you, Hacksaw, going around town, minding your own business, <laughs> and then you just pumping gas, and suddenly you're hosting another talk show. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm pumping gas or shopping for groceries or somebody leans across and, hey, dumbass, why'd you say that? <laughs> Okay, on we go. Let's talk about something that just won't go away. Yeah, this this, this won't go away. And I, I've heard all these comments from McElroy now on this. I mean, Congress is involved now? Richard Rosenthal led the congressional hearing, and he was really stern in the opening comments in front of the PGA hierarchy. LIV's people did not show up. There was no Greg Norman to answer questions. There was no Saudi investment fund leader to sit there to talk about it. But Rosenthal was just pronounced, but the PGA fought back. After all these political statements were made by the leader of the congressional hearing, the PGA people stepped back and said, the fund has $700 billion in wealth. They were going to bleed us dry in court if we did not do a deal. And they were about to have a second wave of stealing our players if they were allowed to continue to play as a separate entity a year from now. Uh, you know, the PGA officials said, look, look what the Saudi fund has already done. What they've done, soccer. They bought Newcastle United. What they've done, they're stealing all types of players to take them to Saudi Arabia on inflated contracts. They own a Formula One racing team. Story this afternoon, MLS has confirmed, soccer has confirmed, they've been approached by the Saudi fund to become a marketing partner. And they're going to pour Saudi money into the MLS. Are they going to take control of MLS soccer? So, you know, Saudi has, has bought a piece of the Washington Capitals, Washington Wizards NBA franchise. There's a lot of concern that, okay, here comes this blood money. And it's coming in and seeping into all these other sports. NFL has indicated nothing's happened at their front. Adam Silver is of the opinion we will not allow them to have a foothold 
to take over franchises and become a big investor. Uh, it's happened only in Washington and the NHL, but it's out there everywhere. They're, they're writing checks and they're spending money, et cetera. So the discussion was really, really testy. But the PGA pushed back and said, if we did not do this, we might have bled to death. Mm-hmm. And they reminded Rosenthal, by terms of what we have negotiated, we're controlling everything. The PGA flag is going to be not here just in the States and not just for the Grand Slams. It's going to run the European tour. It's going to run whatever we create uh, in Europe or in Africa and other countries in this relationship with the LIV. And they leaked out information uh, that there is a proposal that there's going to be a mixed gender team aspect to this merger. And the LPGA, which has got enormous money problems and visibility problems, the LPGA is negotiating. They're going to play some mixed gender, quote, team tournaments with the PGA teams and the LIV teams. They're going to play those in Europe, and there'll be a championship round in Saudi Arabia, and there's going to be another championship round in Dubai. Hmm. So this, the tentacles of what PGA and LIV are negotiating now has spread uh, to the LPGA tour. So it's... It's not been solved, but they're forging ahead. You know, Rory McIlroy made the comment yesterday, if they tried to force me to play in a tournament in Saudi Arabia as part of this new agreement, I'd retire. Now, that's that's yeah. cheap words. I, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's true. It's a lot of that, money but, on the table. Exactly. But are, that's, that's are they going to let women play soccer in Saudi Arabia? Can you imagine that? Well, I'd like to see it. But yeah. considering, But they're, now they're talking about this this LPGA team tourney proposal against PGA and LIV men's teams. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah, it's very interesting how they're they're talking about mixing all, all you know the different genders together. You know, not speaking about the whole transgender thing which is separate, but it just because women don't have equal rights in Saudi Arabia. Exactly. Um, but you know, it's a tough call because you know, here America is supposed to stand for freedom. Right. And free enterprise and capitalism. But yet, you know, maybe they want to block the Saudis from coming around. I think from a big picture perspective, I would just hope that the culture in Saudi Arabia can change, that they can become, you know, more open more accepting of equal rights. And I think that would be the pathway out of this. But right now they're not there. And so politicians are going to grandstand and talk about how they don't want to do anything with the with the Saudis and everything else. But uh, yeah, I mean, the PGA, they were in a tough spot. I mean, they had to do something or it was game over. The fact that they got the controlling decision making as to where they're planting their flags and what the tournaments would look like, to me, it's a PGA will succeed even though there's Saudi money going into the PGA check-in account. And by the way, uh, the LIV just announced they're moving their $50 million championship, which was supposed to be in Saudi Arabia, in Jirad, I think it is. They're moving it to Miami, to Rao. Donald Trump has no problem taking Saudi money. Of course not. Unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> and it goes on and on and on. Hey, listen, we put a lot of diverse topics on the table. That's how we do this podcast. John, it's time for your favorite segment with your best friends, Fans Forum. Let them ask away because we got viewers on live stream and then we got people who've messaged us on social media. Yeah, I got a bunch here. So let's let's see from M. Allen. He says, Trevor Bauer made the... Um, the MPB All-Star team today. Trevor Bauer, the ex-Dodger, has, has settled down. 
Uh, you know, at one point he'd been sent to the minor leagues two different times, now has come back. I think the last I checked, I think his record was 7-2. and two. Has kind of become dominant, striking out a lot of batters, still giving up a chunk of home runs along the way, but he's pitching every fifth or every sixth day, and he's there, and... You know, you have to go search his numbers to try to find him. It'll be interesting to see if he has a 15-win season. If Trevor Bauer goes 15-4, and and four, does anybody in baseball give him an opportunity to come back? Mm, maybe. I mean, I mean, look at this other comment here from Brett Shepard. He says Trevor Bauer was framed. I mean, there's a lot of people that think that he was treated unjustly and that he deserves an opportunity to come back to America. Well, you got 30 teams in Major League Baseball that don't subscribe to you, Brett, at this point in time. But things change when you need pitching. Uh, We'll see where the lawsuit goes. That lawsuit is still out there. Whether or not that lawsuit ever gets to court, only time will tell there. Oh, only time will tell. Here's a comment from Force Ghost Fabio. He says, oh, my God, stop with the politics. I just, I'm just putting topics on the table. You kind of slip a little Trump something in there. I didn't make this stuff up. It's right there. You, you can dive back onto the internet when we're done with the live stream and go get the story of the former president taking Saudi money again. I, maybe it doesn't offend you. That's okay. Offends me, offends him, but doesn't offend you. That's okay. Let's go to to social media here. And this is a comment from Anaheim Rob talking about the Ducks. He says, I'm not sure if the Ducks would have taken Carlson regardless, but Fantilli was definitely sending out vibes that he wanted to go to Columbus. Well, I I don't know that Fantilli talked his way out of being the second pick in the draft for the hockey, for the sports fans that don't know. Anaheim Ducks have had a really good offseason. They had the second pick in the draft, and they had Adam Fantilli, uh, the great freshman center, Iceman University of Michigan. They got a big center left winger, Leo Carlson, uh, from Sweden. And a bit of a surprise, they passed on Fantilli, who's, I think, a good pro, to take Carlson. I think it's because Carlson's a two-position player, and Carlson was just a really good player in a league of men. I mean, the Swedish Elite League is a very, very good league. Uh, Fantilli, of course, did magical things. You know, a couple weeks ago, when we did our post-draft wrap-up, I thought that Fantilli should have been the Ducks' choice, because I think he's more ready to play as as a goal scorer. But they scouted six different times. They went, went to Europe to watch Carlson play. And they think maybe there's much more upside from Carlson. He's bigger than Fantilli. So I think it would have been win-win regardless of who the Ducks took or who Columbus took. I, I think they got themselves good players. Has there ever been a situation in the NHL kind of like with uh, John Elway or Eli Manning in the NFL where they said, I will not play for that team if I get drafted by them? Oh, there was. And yet, boy, you have to ask me that right now. I'm trying to remember. There was somebody who got drafted. Oh, it was Eric Lindros. Hmm. Legendary. Philadelphia Flyer. High draft pick. Uh, he got drafted by somebody else and refused to put the jersey on on the podium. It was almost like Eli Manning. Mm-hmm. When Manning got drafted by the Chargers, he went up to the podium and they, they gave him the jersey and the hat. And he looked like he ate a bad tuna fish sandwich. Because <laughs> the family had told the Chargers, yeah. we're not coming to play in San Diego. You trade his rights. And, of course, they did. They flipped him for Philip Rivers, and it turned out to be win-win for everybody. But Eric Lindros, uh, I think, was probably the biggest marquee guy because he was top of the draft board, and he wanted to dictate where he was going to go play. And he had a great career until concussions kind of knocked him out 
of the National Hockey League. But that's just off the top of my head. That that's the biggest one that comes to mind in modern day hockey. Yeah, I'm surprised this kind of thing doesn't happen more often. They got some more comments here on social media. And this is a this is a good one here. This is from uh, Reno San eighty seven. Talk about the Padres. Are they gonna cool off or are they gonna stay hot? And he says let me break it down. Let me break down some reality for delusional fans, LOL. The Padres are playing 466 baseball right now. To get to 89 wins, they have to play 648 the rest of the season starting right now. How many teams playing 600 in all of baseball? As I'll tell you, only two. The Rays at 626 and the Braves at 678. The Padres need to instantly be the second best team in baseball overnight and go 48 and 26, the final 74, just to secure the third wildcard spot. Not happening. Probably correct. But injuries can change the makeup of a team. I don't think anybody's chasing down Atlanta. Uh, but but things change. You know, all of a sudden, Arizona or Cincinnati wake up in the middle of the pennant race in early August and start to fall apart because the heat is unbearable. I'm not talking about the heat in the Queen City or what's going on in the Valley of the Sun weather-wise. So things can change. But you're correct. The Padres have not shown any of this to us. And we thought the Fab Four would be dominant, and the rest of the batting order is really substandard. And they've been living off quality starts, but there's a fatigue factor for all those veteran pitchers, and their bullpen has really run out of gas just because they've been overused so much. I I think that it's going to be a run uphill for the Padres to be a wild card team. That being said, if Machado and the Fab Four can all hit 270 with home runs and they do play good defense, maybe there's a chance they can chase some of these guys down. But, you know, as we as we start the second half of the thing, they're six out of the last wild card spot. I think the last I checked, they're nine out of the first wild card spot. So that's a big hill to run up. Yeah, well, you know, we're optimistic as fans. But like you said, we, we look at the team on paper, and they're better than every one of those teams above them, at least in the wild card hunt. Um, so... They have the ability to, what did he say, to go... Uh, 48 and 29? 48 and 29, whatever it is. They have the ability to do that if the guys just play the way they're supposed to play. So that's what's just so frustrating as a fan. And boy, they get started tonight in Philadelphia. All right, next one. Next one. Let's uh, let's go here. Talk about San Diego State. And uh, if they're going to get kicked out of the Mountain West, it's kind of a long response from that college football guy. He says, unfortunately, the Mountain West will be losing about... What does it say? $10 million in revenue over the next five years due to losing San Diego TV market. The revenue is held back to offset a lost TV revenue once a member departs a conference. It has been this way for every conference forever. Whoever drafted this letter from San Diego State Administration needs to be reprimanded or possibly fired. A more carefully crafted letter citing only clarification about penalties in the possible extension would have been much better idea. The Mountain West is acting tough because they have to negotiate a new TV deal and their largest TV market is trying to get out the door. College football guy, I'll sign your memo. I surely won't sign the letter that President De La Torre sent. I just think this thing is mishandled terribly. And now now the information that she went to a president's meeting in Hawaii and actually stood up and said, we're probably leaving I thank you for the relationships we've had. And that then followed by the letter that, you know, 
This serves as a possible resignation letter. And then her proposal that we want, we'd like to try to do a different structure on the exit fees. And the Mountain West just absolutely said no. The rules are the rules, and we're not changing it. And you do raise an interesting point about whatever the TV contract is that gives each of the Mountain West teams $3 a year. It's a bad (laughs) TV deal. But look where the conference is. That's going to have to be restructured down because I don't think there's anything the Mountain West can do in terms of stealing somebody else. If BYU were still out there, and I thought they should have brought Brigham Young back in a couple of years ago, if the Cougars were still out there and there were a few other marquee group of five teams out there, maybe you could lure them back in and the bleeding wouldn't be as bad. But where are you going to go? You can go get Hawaii uh, full-time? You're not going to get Texas, El Paso and be a difference maker. Now, they're, they're just really in a, in a tough place as it relates to the group of five status. Uh, But we'll see what happens with San Diego State, how quickly this is all going to evolve. Pac-12 media days are on the 21st. We're led to believe, or at least it's been intimated to me by people that kind of cover this on a regular basis, that they're going to announce, the Pac-12 is going to announce this new deal maybe before the media days. And I think this deal is directly tied to Disney, whether that's ABC, ESPN, or streaming. Mm -hmm. I think there's a chunk of money coming. I was told that when they get the new TV deal done, each school in the Pac-12, 10 or Pac-12, if they expand, is going to get 37 mil. That's annual. And that that pushes them right back up close to the Big 12. Maybe not what uh, the the Big 10 gets and obviously not the 51 mil that the SEC schools get. uh, But the Atlantic Coast Conference is is maybe in that same category. So the Pac-12 deal is going to be good. And even though it's been delayed and there's been all types of complications, I got to believe that they're going to announce something that's going to be have some pizzazz to it. And maybe maybe there's rumbling about Disney and streaming has got real legs to it and a big dollar value attached to it. That's an interesting angle because we've been talking so much about how Disney is bleeding money, how they're firing all these guys at ESPN and, and, and sports casters and uh, men and women. How are they going to come up with $37 million a year for 10 teams? Well, when you, got the, when you got the potential of all the major markets, and uh, to me, despite what Southern Cal and UCLA did to the conference, I still think there's great history and heritage and appreciation and respect for those schools that stay behind. Uh, but, you know, what, what Disney's doing, because Disney's cutting everywhere. What I think they're doing is they're taking all that money from talent and what they're doing with the theme parks and all their other business properties they own. They're taking that money and they're putting it over here and they're going to go get a product that they can then resell and generate big revenue. And that product is Pac-12 football or Pac-12 basketball. Interesting. And subscriptions and streaming. Yeah. Oh, the whole world is shifting, you know. Oh, yeah. And then especially with what's going on with, you know, Hollywood and the actors and the writer's strike. I mean, they're talking about how they're going to have a lot more sports on television, you know, because they don't have to produce it the way they have to with all these other television shows. But they have to pay for it. And that's where the money's coming from. They're mm-hmm. taking Susie Colbert's salary and everybody else's and they're putting it over here. And that's going to be the offer, I think, to the Pac-12. OK, let's do one or two more. OK, let's um, let's go here. And uh, this is a good one about Bob Baffert. And uh, from this vertical we posted, and this is from, uh, what's his name, Mighty Tech. And he says, 
He sat in front of me at the 1998 World Series Game 4 in San Diego. He had already won at least one Kentucky Derby at that point and was wearing a KD Letterman-style jacket with big Kentucky Derby champion embroidered on the back. He kept standing up between innings, extending his arms out to make sure we could all read his jacket. He really wanted to be noticed. Around the fourth inning or so, Baffert postured too long, and that jacket and white hair of his blocked some from seeing the first pitch of the inning, one of the fans yelled, yeah, nice jacket. We get it, Whitey. Now would you sit down so we can watch the game? And he sat down. Baffert's got personality. Baffert's got (laughs) ego. I like dealing with him. Uh, But obviously there's a big history here of wrongdoing in horse racing. Uh, I am stunned that Churchill Downs has penalized him a second time because that, to me, that's kind of double jeopardy. I don't know how any of that holds up in court. But he's, I mean, he's really fought them tooth and nail legally about everything that's gone on as relates to testing, their perception of what happened in testing, his explanation of why some horses tested positive tainted hay or an ointment that we didn't know about or trainers, etc. So it's too bad because the guy has, the guy is such a leader in the industry. I think he's kind of rallied and saved horse racing. Horse racing's in huge trouble. When you see all the great stables in Kentucky that have gone down, and then then you add into it the catastrophic injury situation, it it's a very complex puzzle uh, to move pieces around to figure out how in the world you're going to make this work. Well, what makes Bob Baffert so great? I mean, hopefully it's not because his horses are on the juice. He must have a training regimen or he may be able to recognize talent. I mean, what is it about him that makes him so good? I just think track record. And when he approaches a horse owner in England or France or Saudi Arabia, where horse racing is a huge sport, and he presents his credentials and his training methodology, that's why they deliver that horse racing talent to his stables Mm. and you add in all the Kentucky Derbies and all the Triple Crown winners and then the stud fees when horses go into retirement I mean the man's credentials are just amazing I wouldn't say impeccable because obviously there's a lot of tainted stuff right now but that's how the business of horse racing with an elite trainer uh, works Interesting. Yeah, but we can always spot him at the races. He's always got the shades on, looking, you know, looking for the camera. So, yeah, pretty crazy guy, even back in the World Series in 1998. Most interesting guy. Hey, listen, we hope you've enjoyed our Friday live stream podcast. Thanks for joining us on Fans Forum. We invite you to share, want you to text, email, message all your friends. Tell them what we're doing every week on our podcast, our live stream, and also check my website, leehacksawhamilton.com. If you like sports, it's all written. You will really like it. We apologize for missing the opportunity to be with you on Thursday. I was recovering from eye surgery. We have winged through this. John did a real good job, even though he doesn't want the Oakland A's (laughs) playing in his ballpark in San Francisco. Hey, thanks for listening. Thanks for participating. We'll catch you Monday. Come bonus coverage with our live stream. John, have yourself a great sports weekend. Yeah, and stay cool under the air conditioning if you can. Have yourself a great sports weekend. Thanks for joining us on Hacksaw's Headlines. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. Touchdown, San Diego! For more content, go to leehacksawhamilton.com.